that are joining us online, I want to say welcome as well. The Lord is your strength indeed. What an awesome privilege it is to be in God's presence indeed. We are grateful to God for how he has been helping us. And I want to thank God specially for your lives because I know that God is doing a new thing in you and in me and in all of us. And as a congregation, we are in a very, very brand new day. Let's give the Lord a big hand. Hallelujah. It's a brand new day. You only need to see it in the spirit to understand. Much may have not have changed around us in terms of our physical space. But I want you to know that in the spirit, we are in a brand new day. Hallelujah. May God continue to honor you in Jesus' name. We are grateful to God. Thank you so much. Love bless you. We are grateful to God for what he's doing in us and through us. About four weeks ago, we started a series of fruitfulness by sanctification. Fruitfulness by sanctification. And uh, God has been helping us. We've gone through three topics, uh, four topics. This is the fourth topic. We've gone through three topics on looking at the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. And last week, being Easter Sunday, we looked at fruitfulness through death. How God expects us to be fruitful uh, by dying and uh, dying to self. We need to understand the concept of death from the perspective of scripture. Thank you. It's It's fine. Thank you very much. God bless you. So we want to thank God for that. And um, what we are doing today is just to carry on on that series. And by the grace of God, as we'll be looking into the scriptures today, what we'll be doing is looking at fruitfulness by counsel. We said the spirit of God is also the spirit of counsel. And so we'll be looking at how he works in us through his counsel. Hallelujah. When I was a very young preacher, I used to wonder why people drink when they are talking, that they should just talk. (laughs) As I grew older, I understood. (laughs) Hallelujah. Fruitfulness by counsel. We have said fruitfulness is God's mandate upon humanity. Fruitfulness is God's desire. We have been reading John chapter 15 verse 6. Jesus said, we who are the ecclesia, we who are the called out ones... He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. I don't know about you, but I understand that when I'm given an appointment and I'm told that I'm appointed to do something, I understand firsthand that I have to deliver. If you are appointed into a job or appointed into an office, the the first thing you must find out to understand is what is expected of me here because that is the determinant of your success in that particular appointment. He said, and I've appointed you, and then he said what it is, that you should do what? Go and bear fruit. He said, and that your fruit should remain. So the fruit you bear should remain. And then whatever you ask the Father, because you will need help, you will need his guidance, you will need his counsel, you will need his wisdom, you will need his knowledge. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. And then he makes us to understand that it is the Holy Spirit that he sends to us. The Father doesn't leave his throne to come to help us physically. No. 
He, in, in time past, he spoke his word through his prophets. We, we are told that in the book of Hebrews. But ever since Jesus came and Jesus left, he said, my father will send you and I, the Holy Spirit, and then he will guide us into all truth. He will be the one that will teach us what to do. So the Holy Spirit, say with me, the Holy Spirit is my helper. In Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1, this is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. We've read those two verses many, many weeks. He said, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Verse 2. He said, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And then he began to talk about the manifestation of that Spirit. He said, it's the Spirit of the Lord. It is the Spirit of wisdom. It is the Spirit of understanding. And then it is also the Spirit of counsel. It is the Spirit of counsel. And that is our emphasis today. Of course, it's also the Spirit of might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. The Spirit of counsel is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit that grants us access to the mind of God. There is a way God thinks. He told Isaiah, he said, my thoughts are not your thoughts. There is a way I think. That is God speaking. It is not the way man thinks. He said, there is a way I think. He said, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. So he said to Isaiah that there is a way that you need to understand that I think and it is my spirit that will help you to have access to the way I think. Because if you can think the way I think, you will continue to walk in, your, in my divine agenda for mankind. When you create something, there is something at the back of your mind. When a person puts a product out in the market, it didn't happen in one day. It didn't just come about and then they, they just by default produce a robot. No, they don't just produce a, a, a chair or a cup or anything. They don't just produce it. There is a way the manufacturer would have thought it out in their mind that I want to make this product and I want it to perform in this particular way. Every car manufacturer will tell you that the car that he is putting out to the market can go up to certain speeds. It can go up to 160 miles an hour or 250 miles, uh, kilometers an hour, something like that. That it can go, it can go up, to, up to 60 miles an hour in other 10 seconds. Now, that is what he thought to achieve and that is what he put to action by designing that car and building it to that specification. Now, if you believe it, and you walk with it, it delivers for you. If you have never gone, and I'm not asking you to go and do so, because they will catch you. If you have never gone beyond 70 in your car, and the speedometer says you can go up to 160, does that change the fact that the car can go up to 160? I say, does it change the fact? It doesn't change the fact. You just need to press it a little bit more, then you start to see the dial go. Please don't go and try it. I beg you. Don't go and try it. Don't say, Pastor, how did you know that? Don't ask me that question. <laughs> but if you just press on the accelerator a little bit more, it goes up to 80. A little bit more, it goes up to 90. It, a little bit more, it goes up to 100. And you wonder what is wrong with them. 
You are not crazy. They are the ones that is crazy, even though you have gone 30 miles over the board. <laughs> Hallelujah. The potential of a thing exists, whether you believe it or not. The potential for man to reason like God exists, whether we want to believe it or not. It takes his spirit to tell us. Jesus taught his disciples. Our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now look at what he said to them, Matthew 6. He said, your what? Kingdom come. And what? Your will be done where? On earth as it is where? In heaven. Your thinking be made manifest here on earth as it is being taught out in heaven. It is important we understand that the spirit of counsel is what God works in us to give us the mind of God per time. Why am I making this emphasis? You find the car that you are firing at 40 and 50, which has a potential to do 70 or even more. If you continue to reach at the level of men, you must make up your mind today to maximize your sanctification. Many times people wonder when we say we are talking about sanctification and we are not just hitting on holiness and going to hell because that is what people used to teach about sanctification. When they say sanctification, the next message people are hearing, they're expecting is hell, heaven. You go to heaven, you go to hell. (laughs) Sanctification is way much more than that. Sanctification means called out, separated unto God, to be like God, to act like God, reason like God, perform like God. Deliver like God in your humanity. Empowered humanity is what the power of sanctification can do. Jesus came and he demonstrated it. The Bible says, then God put on him the spirit of wisdom. God put on him favor with God, favor with men. It is important that we must understand that every one of us have a potential to live. That does not mean that we become God. That is an erroneous side of the message. And an erroneous side of the message is to say now that we are equal with God. There is nothing like that. No one can ever be equal with God. But God's desire is that everyone he made is able to maximize the potential of his nature that he has put inside them. He told Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 21. He said, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying. Let's read that together. Isaiah 30 verse 21. Please project. Let's go. Isaiah 30, verse 21. I want everybody to read it together. Isaiah 30, 21. I'll read it to you now because of time. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Whenever, thank you, you can read now. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. Because life is a journey. Life is a race. Life is steps life is movement he said you must continue to listen to my voice he said there will be a word behind you saying this is the way walk in it so when we're talking about counsel from the perspective of scripture i want us to know very clearly counsel is of two types there is the counsel of god and the counsel of the devil there's the counsel of wickedness We saw the counsel of the devil in the Garden of Eden for the first time in Genesis chapter 3. When God said, man should not eat of a particular fruit from the tree called the tree of knowledge of good and of evil. And then 
Satan came, the devil came to Eve specifically, to man, but to Eve specifically, and said, has God said that you cannot eat? And then Eve said, of course, that we should not eat of it and touch it, even though God says you should not eat of it. He said, but that for the day we eat of it, we shall die. The first evil counsel was recorded in that verse. He said, you shall not surely die. That is a counsel exalting itself against the knowledge of God. That is a counsel of the devil. So when we are talking about counsel, I want us to develop capacity to understand how to keep recognizing the counsel of the devil. And it takes a walk, a faith walk in the Holy Spirit, a faith walk in God by the Holy Spirit to continue to recognize which is of God. The counsel of God will always confirm the word of God. The counsel of the Holy Spirit will never speak. Jesus said, whatever things he has heard, that alone he shall speak. So when something suggests to you that looks good, even though it looks good, as long as it cannot find a root in the word of God, discard it immediately. As long as it cannot be connected to the word of God. That word, if fell for it because he completely disregarded what God said. God said, the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then somebody comes along and says, you shall not die. The moment she believed that, she went for the counsel of the enemy. So we must understand that we are talking here about the counsel of God. I will tell us very quickly two benefits of godly counsel and the dangers of ungodly counsel. The first thing that I want us to note is that godly counsel helps us to access blessings and stability in life. It helps us. The Bible says we have been blessed with every blessing in the spiritual places. God has blessed us. There is no doubt about it. God has blessed humanity. In Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. So there is a blessing that is already on humanity. But it is the counsel of the Lord that allows us to know what to do per time to access those blessings and to make the most of them. That something has been provided for you doesn't necessarily mean that you make the most of it. That's why when I'm going on a holiday or an official trip for my university or any, any official trip, and uh, they, they've planned everything for me, and I look at the, 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 the conditions of the trip. I look at where I'm going to be picked up. I look at where my, my taxi is being paid for and the one I need to pay for and reclaim later. I look at what the details of the hotel is, whether it's all full board or half board or bed and breakfast, so that I understand. I don't go and just land there and then start finding out because there is usually no time. I've got five days or four days. So I go there with a full knowledge of what I'm supposed to enjoy and what I'm supposed to take responsibility for at that point in time. It makes the journey smoother. This is why we must continue to access the counsel of God. As we study scriptures, we must allow ourselves to be hearing the godly counsel that comes from them. Because ungodly counsel can be very costly. If the devil suggests to you that you shall not die over a matter or something will not happen to you when God said it will, then you are taking ungodly counsel. So we must keep discerning and shunning ungodly counsel always. Psalm 1 is a very popular verse of scripture. Verse 1 
Psalm 1 verse 1 and verse 2, the Bible says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. Where you are seated depends and determines, rather, where you are seated right now determines where you will be sitting tomorrow. Where you are seated today determines where you will be sitting tomorrow. Seated, S-E-A-T-E-D, today determines where you will be sitting, S-I-T-T-I-N-G, tomorrow. This is why you must sit in the right place per time. Every time, and I'm talking about physical seating and also spiritual seating. If you are physically sat in a place that is not adding any value to you and you are not adding value to it, as God commands or ordains per time because there may be times that you have to be in a certain place because God wants you to be a blessing. But it's usually temporal. It's usually a measured time in space. So you must understand that as you are seated in a place, you are asking yourself, am I, am I sat in the seat of the ungodly here? Am I sat in the seat of the scornful here? Because it can rob me of the blessing tomorrow. The Bible says only those who are sat, not in the seat of the scornful, will access this blessing. Not those who walk in the counsel of the ungodly will access these blessings. He said, but those, verse 2, whose delights are in the law of the Lord and they are meditating on it day and night. They are people who continue to spiritually sit in the right context of scripture. This is why the Bible says you must study to show yourself approved. A workman that needs not to be ashamed and is doing what? Rightly dividing the word of truth. The work of a believer is to understand the scriptures for themselves. It is not a work of giftings. It's not a work of trial and error. It's a work of intentionality. You carry the Bible and read it. Or, or listen to it <laughs> by audio, <laughs> because this is 2022. You can listen to it, but it's good to read it, because at times when you are seeing text, there is a way it imprints in your mind from what you hear. But you can hear it as well. But the reality is that the more you familiarize yourself with the word of God, the more you have access to God's counsel. Instability is the cause of mediocrity in life. When people cannot be stable because they do not have access to godly counsel, it limits their lives. It brings mediocrity in life. Godly counsel is what guarantees safety. Look at Proverbs 11 verse 14. The Bible says, where there is no counsel. Let's read it together. Everybody go. It's on the screen now. Where there is no counsel, the people what? But in the multitude of counselors, there is what? safety. And don't forget, we're talking about godly counselors here. Evil counsel will only lead to a falling, like it led to the first fall. So every time you read a scripture like that, understand, it's automatically referring to godly counsel, useful counsel. Where there is no counsel, the people fall. But godly, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. I am always intrigued by the story of a man simply called Reuben, one of the sons of Jacob, his firstborn. And uh, the, what, God, what Jacob said concerning his son when he was praying for his sons, when he was about to die in Genesis chapter 49. Look at what Jacob said in verse 3. 
He said, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength. The excellency of dignity and the excellency of what? Of power. Look at this man with so much potential. This man that God had placed as first, who is meant to be the strength of Jacob, who is meant to uphold the lineage of these great patriarchs from Abraham, Isaac, his grandfather, and then Jacob, his own father. He said, you are the beginning of my strength. You have so much potential in you. But let's read verse 4 together. Look at, let's read together, everybody. He said, unstable as water, you shall not excel, because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it, he went up to my couch. Just one foolish action led to him losing all that potential. Now, potential is good, but it shows that the Bible says that where there is no counsel, the people can fall. It's good to have potential. It's good to recognize potential, but potential can never ever be achieved without adequate access to knowledge, to wisdom, to understanding, and above all things, to counsel. The counsel of God is the voice of God that continues to reveal to you, this is the way, walk in it. This one, don't walk. This way, don't go. That way, you go. This time, don't go. And this time, you stay. And so on and so forth. He said you are unstable as water, so you can't excel. It's sad that you can't excel. So we must see the place of the spirit of counsel as very, very important. Now, this happened hundreds of years before a man who was simply known again, one of the sons of the great men of scripture, a man who was simply known as Absalom, a young man that his father loved so much, but had the spirit of the enemy coming to him and he rebelled against his father. Now, people may say that Absalom was just fulfilling prophecy of the fact that it was prophesied after David's fall that the sword will not depart from his house and so on and so forth. That's a separate theological debate. But I want you to know today that Absalom had a potential just like Solomon did. He had a potential to become a great man. Every one child of David had a potential of having David's greatness. But here was this man again who was given an evil counsel that relates to the same thing that happened and brought the downfall of Reuben. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, this was the time after he had rebelled. Someone came and told David, saying, Ahithophel, this is David's, this was David's counselor, David's advisor, a man whose words were very powerful in his time, called Ahithophel. Someone came and told David and saying, look, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, Oh Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. David was a master strategic warrior. He knew that this kind of war is not the ones he has been fighting before. He knows this is a war I caused by myself. So if I go to God to say, give me victory over this war, I'm wasting my time because there is a prophecy that says I'm going to fight this war. So I am fighting it, I'm facing it. But there is something I can still pray. Lord, turn the counsel of this great man who, when he speaks, can be so powerful 
turn it to foolishness. Make him say to Absalom what is not in line with power to Absalom. And look at what happened in 2 Samuel. God he had heard that prayer. God heard that prayer. And look at what happened. This is 2 Samuel chapter 16 from verse 20. You can read the whole 2 Samuel 15 and 2 Samuel 16 to get the whole picture of the story. But 2 Samuel chapter 16 in verse 20. He said, then Absalom said to Ahitophel, give advice as to what we should do. Give advice as to what we should do. Now, let's read verse 21 together. Look at a man who used to speak the very mind of God. Who used to give counsel to David, the father of Absalom, with so much authenticity and so much power. Look at what he advised this young man. And Ahithophel said to Absalom, let's read it together. And Ahithophel said to Absalom, go into your father's concubines whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you are abhorred by your father. Then the hands of all who are with you will be strong. I don't know about you, but I just can't add up all those words. (laughs) There is no way everything he said there can stack up together. That's what foolishness can be. And Absalom himself was so so undiscerning. He was so carnal that he could not even see that this does not make sense. How can you say I should go, which is to say sleep with my father's concubines and then people will now know that my father is against me. I'm already, people know that my father is against me already. What am I trying to prove? I know that everybody knows that I want to take the father, my father's throne. So what am I trying to prove again? But he went with that advice. Look at the Bible. Look at what he said in verse 22. So they pitched, verse 22 please. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on top of the house. And Absalom went into his father's concubines in what? The sight of all Israel. One of the most foolish things that a human being could ever do. Somebody who wants to be a king is now doing what kings do in the secret of their inner chambers on a roof. I won't say more than that. Don't look at me and say, what is is he talking about? What did he do? Go and read your Bible very well. Then you... (laughs) But think about it. It's what kings do, not on rooftops. No. Not what kings do on rooftops. He went and took an evil counsel, ungodly counsel. And we know the rest of the story of Absalom. Sadly, he died. But look at verse 23. The Bible makes us to understand that this man, and this is, I want to sound a note of warning on this. Let's read verse 23 together. Now the advice of Ahithophel which he gave in those days was as if one had inquired of the oracle of God. So was all the advice Ahithophel both with David and with Absalom. Of course, before God prayed, before David prayed to God to turn to foolishness what he was going to say to Absalom. The advice that that man used to give was one that nobody doubted. That's probably what caused Absalom to act out of reason. Absalom did not think anymore. What am I trying to say here? Whoever is a human being, as long as he's in this flesh, you hold them accountable to the word they are speaking in line with the word of God. Never lose your head. Never lose your head. That they call the person bishop, pastor, doctor, reverend, archbishop, means nothing. <laughs> the day this counsel is turned to foolishness, he will speak foolishness. If you are not discerning, you will say, this man, when he speaks, the earth shakes. 
This man, when he speaks, his word never falls to the ground. This is why we must be very, very careful. So every one of us must understand, this is one of the biggest problems today in the body of Christ. I don't want to slag anybody. By the grace of God, I'm a preacher myself. So I know that one can go into error. I pray for myself every day that God deliver me from error. Deliver me from error. Before I preach any message here, I look at as many things that I can look from scripture, text, and even what others that have gone ahead of me, what their opinion is on a particular subject. Just to be sure that I'm in the right balance. Especially if it is something sounding very new. Something not, un- not, something not commonly spoken about. You've got to be careful. Many people are trying nowadays to create new things just to make a name for themselves. And we don't need that. If we teach what God has already put down in his word, it is sufficient. Hallelujah. The Bible says you don't need to add to it or take away from it. So we have a duty individually to continue to judge. The Bible says when one speaks, others should do what? Should judge. Check it. Assess it. Not from your carnal nature. Not from how it suits you. Not from what you think in your mind. No, you don't judge with that. You judge based on the word of God. Based on the word of God. Hallelujah. So every one of us must must be very careful. Some of our elder brothers, this time, two years ago, were harassing us that uh, 5G was the one causing the coronavirus. I felt so ashamed. I felt so ashamed. These are people I've respected for many years. Thank God some of them apologized. Some of them have not, and I pray they will. <laughs> well, it was a shameful thing for preachers to go into that kind of error, confusing the world that coronavirus was caused by 5G. And today some of them are using 5G phones. <laughs> Somebody say error. Let's recognize it and let's call it what it is. You very, some of you were here then. Th- those days we couldn't come into the hall like this. I'll be the only one standing here with my, my, my family members because that was the only bubble we could keep in the hall. You heard me speaking so very vehemently against <laughs> I was so annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> I was really, really annoyed with them that how could you, how could you, we respect you, we respect you. you leave, leave technology to people who know technology. You're a preacher, man, you're a preacher. Talk, preach, preach your message. <laughs> Don't go into trying to tell us the science of 5G. You have no clue. You have no clue. You are not trained. What, who do you think you are? You can't talk about those things. Let's give ourselves respect. So what I'm trying to say is that but at that time, a lot of people were believing it, and it became a problem. It became a pro- In this country, they were chasing people from destroying 5G masts. Do you know that? In, in, in London, yeah, London, <laughs> they were, police people had to come out to be chasing people who were trying to, 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 to kill technicians who were in this country, not the third world, so-called third world nation, <laughs> because of what they heard from, sadly, preachers like that. Let's not allow such things to to happen again. I come back to my message. Godly counsel. The second thing is that godly counsel helps us to fight the good fight of faith in life. In this life, you must understand that the very day you came out from your mother's womb, either through the birth canal or you were brought out by surgery, whatever it is, the first cry you let out and you cried. That cry is a representation and a sign of the fact that you have been born for warfare. From that point, you start to take responsibility for your life. Even though the first few years of your life, somebody is helping you to change your diapers, feeding you, doing things. A time comes, all those helps start to wane off, and then before you know it, you are taking responsibility. 
And then you are helping others as well. It's the cycle of life. And then you pray to help like that till God calls you home so that you don't live to the point where they start helping you again to do some of those things. Hallelujah! But here we are. We must understand that when we have godly counsel, we must. it helps us to fight the good fight that we have to fight in this life. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 6. He said, for by wise counsel, you will wage your own war. Somebody say, my own war. There is a war you have to fight. There is a war I have to fight. I'm not talking about the war that we are talking like in those that are happening between nations now. I'm talking about your personal battles of life. To pass an exam is war. You have to study and fight it. Somebody will give you counsel to help you. They are called teachers. Listen to them. They are trained to help you to pass exams. They will tell you the tips and the way to prepare for an exam. Then you will take their counsel and pass that exam. Then you cross to the next level. I used to say to young people, have you noticed that every exam you take always looks like the biggest exam you ever take in your life? Until you face the next one, then you suddenly find that what you were thinking three years ago was a big exam, was not, was not an exam at all. <laughs> and this is how the exam of life is. Every stage of your life, as you grow in life, even in your faith work, you will find that what you are finding difficult and challenging to believe today, or you are, you, are, you are building capacity to believe today, becomes a child's play with the things that will confront you tomorrow. He said, but by, by wise counsel, you will wage your own war. And in, again, in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. Paul charged Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.12. He said, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life. To which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He told him again in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Everyone must understand that what God is expecting at the end of our days is that we say like Paul, we have fought the good fight. This is now the fight for your salvation. The good fight of faith is the fight for your salvation, the fight for your redemption, the fight for you to understand that in your life that there are things that will continue to want to contest. The day you say, Lord, I want to follow you. Lord, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ, to be my Lord and Savior. That very day you start a particular kind of fight called the fight of faith. It is called the good fight of faith. You need counselors, you need teachers, you need people, you need yourself to allow the Holy Spirit to teach you how to fight this war and overcome. So that one day you too can look back and say, I have fought the fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. May God help us to fight this good fight to the end in the mighty name of Jesus. And every other physical fight you need to fight to move, to be promoted. This is a very competitive world. Believers, we teach people how to anoint them and pray for them and prophesy over them and say, you are moving forward, you are moving forward. But we don't say some practical realities which God is helping us by the grace of God to unravel from time to time. Nobody will move you anywhere if you have nothing to offer. So before you say, oh, they are discriminating against me. Oh, they, 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 yeah. What have you got to offer? If you have something to offer and then you are not moving, we do warfare. Do you get my point? Then that means it's the devil that is just simply saying that he's keeping you in prison like Joseph because you have something to offer. Then we pray that one day, one day, Pharaoh will need your interpretation and then you come to the light. That is when we pray. 
But if you have never interpreted one dream, in fact, you are confusing the people who have dreams. <laughs> you are confusing them. <laughs> There's no way we can pray. We can only pray for you first that Lord help this brother or sister. <laughs> it's true. So we know the priority. We know what we need to be praying for. The Bible says when we pray, we do not know what we ought to pray. So we pray to the Holy Spirit to help our infirmities. And we are praying the Spirit. Romans 8.26 Then he says to you, my son, what you need is to understand this aspect of your work, this aspect of your work. Stop making this mistake anymore. When you write a report, somebody else has to read it and correct it ten times. That is why you are where you are. Then you say, Lord, thank you for revealing to me. Then you say, Holy Spirit, help me. Then as you put those things to practice, you give yourself the opportunity to be promoted. David did not just land in Saul's temple by chance. People saw him. We always say, oh, David did not present any CV to get to Saul's, uh, 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 that before he was called by Saul. It's true. David did not present it by himself. But people saw his diligence in the field. They saw that this guy, if he shoots one bear or one lion, he, one time is dead. This guy, if he holds an instrument like this, even all the animals, now that is me talking, right? that is not in the Bible, but even all the animals who gather when he's playing his harp, they said that man has a great spirit on him. And then they went and told the king who needed that service. Then he said, go and bring him for me. Everywhere you will go in this life, you must understand, you need to be able to have the proper counsel of people helping you to fight your warfare to the next stage. Now I will quickly tell us four channels through which the Holy Spirit helps us to get access to this counsel. Whatever you do today, don't forget these four things. I just try to group as many things as God laid on my heart into four areas. Number one is direct revelation. This is the most powerful way you can get counsel. God himself speaking to you through the pages of scripture or through the voice of angels in your dreams. Very, very powerful way that a believer should live whereby God speaks to you clearly about what to do about a matter. I have told you many times how I, as a consulting engineer as well, I'm confronted with things. I've told you this story. Many of you were here a couple of weeks ago as to how I got involved with alteration and refurbishment of buildings. You see why a lot of people don't touch that aspect of consultancy in our field is because it is the area with the most unknown, especially when the structures are so old and you have no access. If it's a building that was built 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you have all the things. You can look at what was put there. When you want to make changes, it's very simple, very simple stuff. But when they give you a 100-year-old building, which has been changed many times, changed many times, you, there is a way you have to be thinking <laughs> to know what to rely on in that building. I don't want to get you too confused about what I'm saying, but then that is how it is. I find that many times it is the access to this direct revelation that has helped me. I go look at something, and many times when I'm leaving the site, I don't know what is going to be the solution. But I have learned over the years, 15 years now, by the grace of God, I've learned over the years to just trust God. And many times as I'm driving, he'll say, you know what? That very column you saw at the back holds everything. Whatever you do, tie everything to it, and the structure will still remain standing. That's it, before I get home. As soon as I get home, I write it down quick, quick, before I forget. <laughs> and that solution given. Hallelujah. Many times, it does not exist in a book you can read. Because nobody has seen that challenge before. So this is something I want you to press into, whoever you are, whatever your level of work with God. 
pray, Lord, touch your head right now. Say, Lord, from today, direct access to revelation. Your counsel is my portion. I receive your counsel in the name of Jesus. Whatever I do, however I go, in my ministry, in, for my family, for my children, for my spouse, direct access to your counsel. Let it come to me by revelation. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus himself was preserved by this act in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. He was a baby. Now, when they had departed, behold, this is his father, Joseph. His biology, he's not his biological father, but the person who acted as his father when he was born through Mary, as you know his story. When they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, what? Arise, take the young child and his mother, and do what? Flee to Egypt. And stay there until I bring you word. Why? For Herod will seek the young child to do what? To destroy him. This is Jesus Christ we're talking about. Jesus Christ we're talking about. Herod was about to kill him off. He took the counsel of the Lord directly coming through to Joseph to preserve his life. May you find the counsel of the Lord at all times. In the name of Jesus. Psalm 73 verse 24. Let's read that together, everybody. Let's go. You, God, will guide you with his counsel. The word you and your are in capital initial caps because it's talking about God. He's not a human being. God will guide you with his counsel. I say God will guide you with his counsel. God will guide you with his counsel in the name of Jesus. He said, and afterward, you will receive me to glory. You will help me to fight the good fight of faith. You will help me to achieve. You will help me to attain. You will help me to do the things that ordinary human beings who have no access to this counsel will be able to do. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. This is the most assured form of godly counsel. It's developed by working with God consistently by faith. You must be a person of faith to walk in this. You must believe God. When God speaks, he doesn't actually shout. He doesn't go dramatic. Many people think that there has to be a drama around God speaking. So over the years, people have tried to make some things look like God is speaking, to convince people God is speaking. You don't need all that. As I've been speaking to you all this time, for the past 30, 40 minutes, you will find that if you are listening in the spirit, as you are hearing what I'm saying to you, God is also speaking some things to your mind. That's how it works. I don't have to say shikrakaki kuku shakaka before you believe <laughs> before you believe that God is speaking. But you know, some people have been psyched up to believe that all that drama has to happen. They put on the keyboards to say, "Oh, God is speaking now." If you don't listen to this, oh no! They say, "Ha, that place is powerful. That man is <laughs> all psychological, just to make you feel like you don't need it. Just believe." <laughs> Hallelujah! Just believe. Just believe. I've been to all those places. That's why I can do all this drama for you. I've been there before. I've been there before. <laughs> I've been where if you want to prophesy and you stand up and say, Thus says the Lord, they'll say, Brother, sit down. Sit down. Sit down. Write it down. Write it down. But if you come and say, Kraki, kaki, kaki, they say, Hey, that's the spirit. <laughs> they say, That's the spirit right there. <laughs> say, Thus says the Lord. And then, you know, because they think, they think. <laughs> 
You don't need all that. Just be listening. He said, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. He's not good. He doesn't have to shout. He doesn't have to do any drama around it. Just listen. Just be sensitive. It takes a faith walk, believing that God is ready to speak to you. God is ready to tell you. When you pray, as, as soon as you finish praying over a matter, stand up and be ready to hear from him. And if he doesn't speak, don't force it. Just keep listening. He will speak when he wants to speak. Many times he will speak when you were not expecting him. You have forgotten about it. You've sat down two days later. You are now just about to do something. You just sat down somewhere to have a nice cup of tea. Then he says, son, this is what you will do. <laughs> you just hear it in your spirit, man. This is what you will do about that matter. He said, Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you. No drama about it. That is how I want us to grow as a people, developing this faith walk with God. And God will be speaking continuously to us in Jesus' name. Number two, very important place that we trivialize things, family. Somebody say family. This is so powerful. Your spouse, your brothers, your sisters, your parents, people who are connected to you by way of direct biological blood or those kind of affiliations. They are so vital. They are, you are put in a family for the sake of this particular kind of koinonia, this particular kind of fellowship. Some of the things your fathers, your mothers, your uncles, your brothers will be telling you with time. When you look back over some of those, I'm talking about godly counsel now, godly counsel. Sadly, I know that in family as well, you can have ungodly counsel, but that's why I said it is your responsibility and my responsibility to always discern which one it is. When you have a person in your family that God uses to speak to you, don't joke with it. Don't joke with it. My father of blessed memory was a person like that. I never took his words for granted. I found out from an early age that this was a godly man and God was speaking to him. So if God said anything to me and I wasn't quite sure whatever I needed to do, I go to him. And then he would say, son, just give me a couple of days. And he would always be very, very non-biased. He would just tell me the truth as he sees it and it helped me many, many times when I was growing up. Family is key. This was what happened to Moses in Exodus 18, where we read earlier, Dr. Ephraim read for us Exodus 18. We read from verse 13 right through to 27. But I just want to read a few verses from there. Verse 17. It says, So Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you do is not good. You are judging, you are telling people, you are giving them counsel, but what you are doing is not good. Look at what he said in verse 18. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. <laughs> you will soon be tired. You want to talk to two million people, sitting down telling them, this one says, my goat was stolen by that one. And they say, where did you keep it? He say, ay, 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 ay. He say, okay, go and kneel down there. Go and wait there. This one. And I was your own. He say, ah, this one beat my child. They are okay. What did you do? I mean, you will wear yourself out. Even the people will be tired, queuing to wait for you to get to every one of them. He said, for this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. I think that rod that Moses held, and he did like that to the Red Sea. And he parted like this and parted like this. Made him to now think that he can do everything. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I think he started to give him ideas that now I can do everything. Only God can counsel one million people at the same time. No human being can. So Jethro looked at him and said, this is my son-in-law. 
he doesn't understand that he will kill himself like this before getting to the <laughs> promised land. And those people too will be worn out. That's what he says. He says, you will wear yourselves out. And then he said, verse 19. Let's read verse 19 together. What? Listen now to my voice. Tell your neighbor for me. Listen to the right people in your family. They mean well for you. God will be speaking through them to you. Listen. Jethro said, listen now to my voice. I will do what? Give you. I will give you what? And God will be with you. That is to say, I will give you, I will give you the mind of God. Now, Moses did not have a direct revelation of that. Otherwise, he would have practiced it. But God used a family member, a father-in-law. He said, and God will be with you. He says, stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God. The really hard cases. Concern yourself with those. And bring those to God. Every other small thing, let appoint. He now gave him the example as we read before. He said, appoint elders. Teach them what to do. How to judge cases. And trust them to be able to do it. Called delegation. Simply called delegation. The power of delegation is one of the wisest things that a leader must embrace. A leader who does not know how to delegate will, why, will soon wear himself or herself out. One day God told me, he said, burn out. It was like a very crude remark, but it's so true. Have you ever heard about people saying that there's burnout in ministry? Burnout, burnout, burnout. God said to me, he said, son, anybody who burns out is as a result of their pride. They refuse to listen to me. They carry what they should not carry. They don't delegate what they should delegate. Believe me. It looked, I, I find it very difficult to say among pastors. I, I find it easier to say it in church like this. But to tell these things to pastors, they will call you arrogant. They will say whatever kind of thing. Because it doesn't look like what we like to hear. God did not, how can God call you and you say you burn out? Is it that his energy inside you finish? No. It's impossible to burn out when you have the right counsel and you are using the right thing. That's why Jethro said, you are going to burn out, Moses. You're going to kill yourself and these people too will die before you get to the promised land. He said, don't make that mistake. He said, you need to delegate. Train people. Delegate. This is why there is nobody that is too young to take on a role. Nobody that is too young. What we do is we identify God's call on people's lives and we allow them to become so that they can take responsibilities. Over the time, the church has become a place where it was, it's a one-man show. One man always doing everything. And that one man seems to have the final word every time, everywhere. That is not God's intention. God wants us to be a people who can rely on family and be trained by family. Number three, God uses pastors and mentors, leaders, so what's the first thing? By direct what? Revelation number two, by through family. Number three, through pastors and mentors. The spirit of counsel can walk through pastors and mentors. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 3. He said, but I will gather the remnant of my flock out of the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their folds and they shall be fruitful and they shall increase. Verse 4. Let's read verse 4 together. Everybody, let's go. Verse 4. I will set up shepherds over them who will what? Feed them and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall be lacking, says the Lord. 
I will set up shepherds. I want us all to understand that shepherds here refer to people God positions in your life part-time to give you godly counsel. They don't have to carry the title pastors. There are many people in this church that don't carry pastor title or those kind of titles. But I can tell you, as God has called them in life, they are functioning in capacity of pastors. They are functioning in people who have the ability to feed others, not just physically, but spiritually. Teach them the word of God. Help them not to fear anymore. You need to identify people God puts around you in such ways. These days, we can say all kinds of things against leadership, pastors. We are a generation that can just open our mouth and say anything. Of course, I know that a lot of those things is because of the impunity that has happened over time in leadership in many sectors. I just gave you an example of what happened a couple of years ago. But the reality is that we must understand that that does not change the fact that God still has a place for leadership. I say God still has a place for leadership. God still has a place for pastors, people who will read, who will understand his heart part time. People who are always concerned about the growth and the progress of others. People who are always concerned about the spiritual standing of others. And mentors. Again, our generation is, is, a, is one that underplays the place of mentors. We feel we know everything. We have access to information. So, you know, I can always Google it and check it myself. I don't need to ask anybody. <laughs> I don't need to have anybody in my life who is speaking into me. Friends, you are limiting yourself if you don't identify mentors, either directly around you like this or in distant places that you can relate with to help you in your journey of life. Every one of us must understand we can never outgrow mentors. We can never outgrow mentors. You can never outgrow people who have done the journey you are doing and can tell you this step you are about to take will take you much longer. This one that you are refusing to take is what you need to take that will help you quickly. Every one of us must understand that we must place value on mentorship. I still live by the grace of God under strong mentorship of several people. Because of the way I function, I have somebody who mentors me. I have people, but one key person that mentors me professionally. Professionally. He taught me consultancy 25 years ago. And I still call on him today. He lives in a very different country, different climate. I still call him today in some decisions I make in that area of life. I have somebody who mentors me in academia. He's in this country. He's a pro vice chancellor of a university today. He mentors me. He was the first person to say to me, I'll give you a job. Some of you know that story. As far back as 2002, when God opened an opportunity for him to employ somebody, and he looked at me. I was still doing my PhD, and he said to me, I'll give you a job. And he gave me a job. After a service like this, that was 2000 and what? You are not listening. 2000 and what? Okay. <laughs> I wanted to be sure you are listening. 2002. Now, fast forward 2021, exactly one year ago this month, we had a conversation with the same man again. What happened? Ten years, I've been trying to promote, get some promotion in where I was working. I've been trying to move to the next step, move to the next step. And every time, I tried three times, and it would be denied. First time, it was denied. Second time, denied. Then, I stopped trying for a long time. Then, last year, I tried again. That is time. I mean, I've put in so much. Let me just do it. Now, one thing is, by the grace of God, 
God never stopped me in that way. God helped me in many other ways. As far as income was concerned, I was not stuck at the level of the income that that position should be attracting. And I thank God to that, for, for that. It never was part of my life. God always would bless me. But for esteem, for esteem, I was doing things that even people who were promoted were not having on their profiles. And I kept on wondering, why, Lord, why wouldn't I move from this level? Even people would be asking me, but David, why is this? What's happening and all that? And I kept on saying, I don't know. But the reality is what, it was as if God stopped it for a purpose which I now understood. So, what will happen? Last year, I needed him to give me a reference in one of those positions. So, I sent him my CV. It was 40 pages long, my CV, with everything, the published books, journals, all the things. We do that a lot in academia, so it's a normal thing. Now, when he got it, he said, David, why are you using this CV for this position? He said, this CV has passed this position. I said, well, it's the position I, I have to apply for at this point. Then maybe move up later. I said, okay, I'll wait for their reference to come. Then they didn't send him reference because they still didn't shortlist me. <laughs> so he called me. He said, I'm waiting for the reference to come. I said, sir, they, I was not shortlisted. He said, what? I said, I was not shortlisted. He said, you are not shortlisted again. He said, this is it. He said, this is what you will do now. The same man from 2002. He said, this is what you will do now. This, your CV, qualifies for associate dean, I say me, he said yes. <laughs> he said he qualifies for directors of program and then he began to give me some top management positions in the universities. Things I did not see myself because when you are in a place and they are telling you you are not qualified for something, you are not qualified for something, do you know that you can start to believe it? <laughs> you can start to believe it no matter who you are. With all my anointing, I never saw myself. <laughs> With these heavy, heavy tongues, I never saw myself. <laughs> Being the head of a program in a university for what? For how? When you are trying to ask to give you principal lecturer, they are not giving you. <laughs> Associate professor, they are not giving you. And then you are saying that you should go and be head of programs. No. I said, sir, are you sure? He said, what are you telling me? He said, we are looking for people with this kind of your CV in such management positions. We don't find them. He said, you apply now. I sent my CV to four institutions. Three of them called me for an interview immediately. I say me? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Three of them called me for interview immediately. One of them, the first one, quickly gave me associate professor. I say, I'm still thinking about it. <laughs> the second, the, the place, the, this is the job level I've been, I've been targeting for more than 10 years. When it came... Because of the caliber of the other ones I've sent out that have called me for interview, I say, no, hold this one first. <laughs> Hallelujah. To cut the long story short, I was given, I had to turn down the second interview because I was given two offers. I now took the one I went for today. He did my reference for me again. He said, David, I, and then he told me the next way to move on again. You need mentors in your life. By the grace of God, I've mentored several people, several people, engineers, People who have finished PhDs have done stuff as well over the last 20 years by the grace of God. I've done mine as well. I'm doing it. But I still need a mentor. You still need a mentor. There is a way God puts the word of his plan in their mouths. And because you have respect for them, you will find that it comes to pass. You will locate good mentors in the name of Jesus. If you are a member of this church, that's one of the things you will always find. Somebody is always asking you what you are doing next. What you are doing next. So don't be embarrassed by it. 
Somebody, no, it doesn't have to be me. Many times, some of the guys around us will say, what's your, what's your program? What are you doing next? Because everybody is in the spirit of helping the other person to move up. And we will keep moving up in Jesus' name. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20, he said, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my saying. My son, give attention to my words. There is a way you have, as a son, you give attention to the words of those that have gone ahead of you. And may God continue to help you in Jesus' name. Finally, we get God's counsel through brethren, friends, and associates. I put them in one category. Through brethren, friends, and associates. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. As people, let's work together. In this church, we have what we call our equip strategy. In which case, we talk about ministry. Somebody say ministry. ministry. Say worship, worship and fellowship. We believe that every time we gather like this, the three things are happening to us. Ministry is what God speaks to us, how God speaks to us like this, and how, you know, he helps us to have access to his mind per time through the message and through the other things that God will speak to us. Worship is what we do when we sing to him, give offerings to him, those things that we do. But very importantly, fellowship, fellowship is what we give to one another from the resources we have. Some of you might have just moved into the area or moved into the country from other places and so on. And you have aspirations, you have visions, you have dreams. Don't fight it yourself. Don't fight it yourself. Let God help you to see who to talk to that would give you the counsel as to what you need to do to get you moving in that direction or in a possible direction that God will want you to go. Psalm 55 verse 14, he said, we took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. We took sweet counsel together. Time will fail me today to tell you a few more things. But I want you to know today that it is important for you to recognize that God is always willing to speak to you through his word by direct revelation. He's always willing to speak to you, give you counsel through family members. He's always willing to speak to you through pastors, leaders, mentors, and obviously through your brethren, your friends, your associates. Don't belittle anything that God will be speaking through a person. God can speak to you through your youngest child. My daughter was just about three years old. One day, I'm sure she didn't know what she was doing, but God spoke to her, spoke through her to my, 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 my wife. They were just together in a place. And uh, she said, why are you not eating your food or something? You, you just need to... I, don't, I can't remember what my wife said to her. But here opens the mouth of this three-year-old. She said, well, you know what I know in life is that I won't die trying. <laughs> she was only three years old. <laughs> my wife paused, dropped everything she was doing and looked at her again. She said, what did you say? He said, yes, I will not die trying. <laughs> three-year-old. And that was it. I don't know, but God just spoke through that young girl that day. And my wife never forgot that incident. God can speak through the youngest of your children at any time. I've told you how God used a very young five-year-old to speak to me at a point when we were in situations in this church. God is faithful. I say God is faithful. Always pray to encounter the counsel of God. It holds everything about God's eternal plans. I close with Psalm 33, verse 11. 
The Bible says the counsel of the Lord stands what? Forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Psalm 33 verse 11. The counsel of the Lord shall stand forever for you. I say the counsel of the Lord shall stand forever for you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.